Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Your Dose where we speak to individuals with lived mental health experiences to help people feel less alone and more connected. And today we are speaking to Rachel who's going to talk to us about her experience with OCD, severe health anxiety and avoidant restrictive food disorder. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Rachel. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Really excited to be here. I know. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about your experience. Um, But first of all, tell me a little bit about you and and where you live. Um, I am currently 27 and I live in New Jersey, um, near New York. And I've been in New Jersey almost my entire life and I love it here. Amazing. What do you love about New Jersey? Um, my family's here. My friends are here. I like that we get all four seasons. It's nice. Yeah. Four seasons is good. I mean, we get four seasons, but I can't say that our summers are quite the same as in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> although it's very sunny here in London at the moment, so that's nice. And um, what do you do for work? I work full time in digital marketing in higher education. So I do a lot of social media marketing, digital SEO writing for higher education. Very cool. And did you go to university for that or was this kind of what you, so this is what you always wanted to do? I wouldn't say that's what I always wanted to do. I kind of just found the path, Um, but I did. I went to undergrad and I got my bachelor's in journalism, media studies and theater. And then I got my master's degree in communication media with a specialization in digital media. So digital media is definitely something that I wanted to be in. Yeah, Very cool. Well, I love that. Thank you for giving me a little bit of an overview of of you and that's always helpful. Um, But what we're really here to talk about today is your mental health journey. Um, So as always, one of the first questions that I ask is what is your mental health journey so far? Loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been struggling with mental health issues ever since I was probably preschool, kindergarten is when my, when I first started having symptoms, I wasn't officially diagnosed with anything until I was probably around seven or eight. Um, but from a very young age, I was very anxious, um, Mm -hmm. all the time. I was having trouble even in kindergarten going on field trips because I was scared of this, that, and the other thing. Um, it was a problem. And my OCD at the time was mostly just um, just right OCD. So like everything has to be done a certain way. I had to take a certain number of steps on the left side and the right side and all of that. Um, but when I was young, I didn't really understand it. And I didn't really know I was any different. I mm-hmm. I had the privilege of having, or still do have, both my parents are PhD psychologists. Oh, so wow. Yeah, they recognized the symptoms quite early and yeah. they they made it so, you know, they would talk to me at home about it. And my sister also had similar struggles. So we felt kind of, I want to say, with carefully normal at home. But, you know, I'd go to school and none of my friends had these intense fears that were keeping them from going on field trips or keeping them from um, being in school if there were certain events happening. And I did. Um, and as I got older, the anxiety kind of just got worse and worse. And it turned from, you know, being afraid of bridges, like I was scared to drive on bridges um, mm-hmm. as a child, to being afraid that I was going to be kidnapped and killed. And like that anxiety just went out of control. Um, and that's when I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and OCD in I want to say first or second grade I really think I was seven or eight um and it was it was a struggle it was definitely a lot to handle at a young age because I truly just did not understand why I was so scared all of the time Mm -hmm. um I know that by the time I got to middle school so around like 11 12 um I went to sleepaway camp and that was a big deal just going away like that and my anxiety and OCD took off on that and it became a whole issue in high school. The the OCD got pretty bad, um, but nothing like it is now. 
Um, but it got bad and I started seeing a psychiatrist Mm. and then I got to college and things kind of cleared up after my first year at college and I was doing internships and I was doing gymnastics and just kind of living. Um, and then things got really, really bad and went downhill. My first semester of graduate school, I got really, really sick and that, um, spiked my, my OCD. I developed health anxiety. And ever since then, I've not quite been able to recover from that. And I still now have pretty severe health anxiety and OCD along with my anxiety, but it's all kind of umbrella termed. So that's like the brief overview of my what a journey but equally um you're still here today which is amazing and you're um able to share this experience which is the main thing so well done for getting through all of that it sounds yeah awful um <laughs> i think one of the things that um would be quite interesting to touch on that i haven't really spoke too much about in the podcast so far is health anxiety so how did this evolve obviously you had this illness or maybe a scare of some sort i'm assuming and then this snowballed into health anxiety but what were the first sort of signs so that that semester like i said it was my first semester in grad school i was a full-time grad student i was working a um graduate assistantship I was coaching gymnastics. I was coaching two teams at the time. So I was, my schedule was packed and Mm -hmm. I definitely am a perfectionist and told myself I couldn't get anything less than a 4.0. And it was, it was a rough adjustment. And what we think happened was um, right before I started grad school, I had torn my ACL and so I had surgery. And that entire summer was just me rehabbing my knee. And I was taking, a lot of like Advil for my knee and everything. And between the stress and the Advil and my chronic migraines that I had already had, we think mm-hmm. that the Advil just kind of disrupted my my stomach. This is all speculation from the doctors. But between that, my immune system kind of crashed. And towards the end of the semester, I got really, really sick. I couldn't keep any food down. Mm-hmm. I lost about 20 pounds in about a month and a half. Um, I was not well, (laughs) just very not well. And the first thing that happened at the very beginning of that was I was getting really bad stomach aches. Um, I was getting sick, like vomiting and migraines. And I didn't think much of it until I went to physical therapy one day for my knee. And my physical therapist said, well, you couldn't have ruled out the possibility that you might have had a stroke and he put that idea in my head and Mm -hmm. from that moment I Mm -hmm. I left there crying I googled my heart out I called my mom saying I need to make a doctor's appointment my physical therapist told me I might have just had a stroke I need like a scan I need this I need that it was that really killed my my surprised how scary was that yeah, I, I remember my, I was telling um, my co-coach at the time of the team that I was coaching and she was like, I dislike your physical therapist. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I understand. Um, and I latched onto that and I, I stopped eating that entire week. I was so anxious. I couldn't eat anything. I went home to my parents' house that week for Thanksgiving and I saw my, my primary care physician. And he was like, you didn't have a stroke. <laughs> okay okay fine so that idea you know whatever but immediately after that and I'm talking about a week later I got sick again and my arms started doing this weird thing which I now learned was anxiety but um what was the weird thing out of interest it was so odd so from like here down to really my fingertips it wasn't I'm gonna use the word numb and tingly But it just, you know, if you fall asleep on your arm and you wake up and you're kind of like, oh, that doesn't like it. How weird is that? Because that's literally a symptom of of a stroke, isn't it? And it's like, you can almost make yourself believe anything. Yeah. 
I don't know if that was like psychosomatic or if it was truly just in like the anxiety was causing it. Um, but it was terrifying because with the migraine that I was having and the the arm thing, you couldn't convince me that I didn't have a stroke. You weren't having a stroke, yeah. Yeah. And I I did what you shouldn't do, which is Google. And I couldn't stop Googling. And I set myself for failure, really. Um, and I got even more sick. Then my immune system really crashed. And that's when I stopped being able to like eat. Not because of anxiety or anything, just because my stomach was not okay. And anytime mm-hmm. I would try to eat, I would get really, really sick. Yeah. And uh, that lasted into winter break and so during winter break when I was home at my parents house um I was like I need to see a doctor like I can't eat I'm vomiting every day multiple times a day like something's wrong there is something wrong if it's not a stroke there's it's something else yeah and I saw my primary and my primary kind of just said oh you might have IBS which we now know I don't it was not but I didn't like that explanation and he ordered blood work, but my, I was in between insurance and insurance in the U S is really annoying. Um, and so I couldn't get the blood work done until I had the new insurance and I couldn't see a GI, like a gastroenterologist until I had my new insurance. So for about a month, I was, losing weight rapidly I could not eat I could Mm -hmm. not I could barely drink I was vomiting I could barely get out of my bed like and I had no doctor I wasn't allowed to see a doctor because I didn't have insurance and the entire time was just me non-stop googling that is all I did it is legitimately all I've been there. It's a hole, isn't it? It is a hole. I had never Googled like that before. I had hundreds of tabs open between my phone and my computer. And that's a compulsion, right? That's it's a compulsion. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know it at the time. Um, honestly, I didn't really grasp OCD at the time. I knew I had it because I knew that I was diagnosed with it when I was younger but I didn't really understand it. I was really familiar with what anxiety Yeah, was. because I think the problem with OCD is that you associate OCD with like hand excessive hand yeah. washing, shutting doors multi- a certain number of times. Yeah. And you forget that there's the whole obsessive thought, thought thing, the pure O side of it, yeah. um, which is less about the conventional compulsions and actually like the Google, which I've done myself. And Google is one of the best and worst things ever because you can convince yourself that you're having a brain tumor in like seconds. Yeah. So, so sorry. So carry on. So you were, so you were compulsively checking Google. Compulsively checking. Yeah. You couldn't tear me away from it. I, that, and that's when my mental health started really declining was because of that. So now I'm sick. And on top of that, my mental health is just gone. Like it's non-existent. Um, and it was like a week before I had to go back to campus for a second semester of grad school. And I said to my parents, like, I can't go, I'm dropping out. Like, I'm too sick. Like, I, I don't know what's wrong. I think I have cancer now. I think it's stomach cancer. Like, it's gotta be, there's something wrong. Finally, I, I saw a gastroenterologist who did, who like did an endoscopy. And he said that I had gastritis so there was something there to make me that was making me sick yeah. it wasn't cancer um and you would think that oh you finally have the answer like you're done we'll stop great that is not what happened <laughs> and that's when the health anxiety took off in like full fashion um wow. I came back from that procedure thinking yay great wonderful it's not cancer yeah um I just have to take this medicine for a couple weeks and I'll be good yeah I, within like a day, maybe not even, maybe like a half a day, I said to myself, what if he missed something? What if he's wrong? What if he just didn't see something? What if it's something else that needs a different scan or a different procedure? Um, this seems like too simple of a fix. Like, I don't know. And it, and that's when my anxiety kind of took over with my eating. And I started getting scared that whatever I would eat would make me sick, that it was something I was eating. And I was diagnosed with um, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Um, I've heard of this. Yeah. yeah. So that's ARFID. 
So then on top of everything else, now I had this eating disorder and I went back to graduate school and was a complete mess and could, I was like barely functioning. I was going to say because you've already been really ill, so you've lost a lot of weight then. I was severely underweight. And then you've also got now got this avoidant restrictive eating disorder. So yep. on top of that, you must have just been literally like a shadow of your former self. It was scary. I remember when I the day I got back to my apartment on campus, I was like unpacking my stuff. And I looked in the mirror as I was unpacking. And I, I did not recognize myself. And I texted my mom one night and I said like, mom, this is what I weigh right now. She goes, are you kidding? I'm like, no, I don't know what to do. And that's when I decided to seek out help. It was because I was like, this is, I can't be this weight. I can't I'm go on. to die if I yeah. don't do anything. Um, yeah. And full transparency, it wasn't, the food was an issue. Like I knew the food was an issue, but I was more worried about the fact that I couldn't go a day without thinking I was dying of cancer. And like, that thought was so awful. I would be sitting in class and just instead of paying attention to the professor, I would I would sit there on Google and Google things on my laptop. Yeah. yeah. And it was taking away from everything. And when I was coaching, you know, I had gymnasts doing dangerous things. And all I could think about was what should I be searching? What should I be looking up? Like I, I handed my phone to my co-coach so I couldn't Google during practice. It was yeah. honestly like an addiction. I mean, it's a compulsion and you feel like it's... you have to do it. And if you don't do it right then and there, you know, something terrible is going to happen. You'll just sit and think about yeah. and spiral into this. But then what you do is you go onto Google and it's never what you want to no. see. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, something else that I, I did when I was in that state of mind was um, any sensation in my body was like obviously you mentioned the arm but like like I would be so in touch with sensations yeah and it's um I mean it is literally the most um consuming thing ever because like you said what you start to do is um isolate yourself because you don't want to do anything because all you're thinking about you're having a conversation with someone and you're not really listening because actually what you're thinking about is oh well this feels weird and oh my god is that cancer or yeah so mm-hmm. I guess leading quite nicely then into the question of how did it affect your relationships greatly <laughs> um yeah. it was my parents are psychologists so like I, I give them credit they know what they're doing I think it's hard for them to see their own child suffer with some of the stuff they treat on a daily basis yeah. And I don't want to say that they they were mean about it, but it was getting very frustrating for them to constantly be hearing, mom, I think I have cancer. Dad, I think I have cancer. Like I would constantly be having massive panic attacks and crying nonstop in my room and going to them saying, I think I have cancer. I think I have cancer. I think I have cancer. Asking for doctor's appointments. And they, they did, they got frustrated because they, to them, it was just, Rachel, you've been through this before. Like, why can't you just see that Let it go. Yeah. it's not cancer? Yeah. And for me, it was, it wasn't a joke. It wasn't funny. It was my life. Like, I honestly thought. Yeah. And it's not an attention seeking thing or anything. It's like genuinely so real to you. And I don't yeah. think that's what people understand is like, this is so, so real in your head. Like you genuinely believe that you have cancer. Yes. And so, yeah, I understand um, because in the past I've done it with my parents and my mum kind of, you know, it's like, oh, come on, not this again. Yeah. Like, you're not, you're not, we're not, we're not going around yeah. this loop again. And it's like, but this is so real to me. And you um, don't know what, to, like you don't, you, part of you knows that it's your OCD and it's your mental health, like latching onto an idea. But I mean, the whole point of it is you can't, you don't believe that. Like the the other part of you that doesn't believe that is stronger. Mm. And so you're going to your parents because you want that reassurance and you want them to say like, everything's going to be okay and you don't have cancer. But then every time they do that, that's just fueling the problem and it's making it worse. 
but then like I don't know about for you but when my parents say stuff like we're not doing this again we're not I'm not having this discussion with you I get really upset like why aren't you listening to me there is something wrong I think I think almost the reassurance is a compulsion isn't it like checking and asking people um I mean if any of my friends are listening to this podcast right now, they will know that they've had to also listen to me um, talk about, do you think I have this? Oh, do you think I have that? Um, And they mustn't understand it really to an extent. If you haven't, if you haven't been through it, you think, oh my God, just stop being stupid. Like you obviously haven't got that. So did your friends know about, what was going on and how did they react so in the beginning um before i really understood health anxiety my friends would do what any good friends would do which would be you know no rachel you're okay i'm sure it's fine this kind of stuff happens normal just your body being like you know things can happen your body's not perfect um and i appreciated that but also it didn't make it to be honest, sometimes it made it worse. Hearing that would make it worse because I would think to myself, no, that's not true. Like I'd be the exception. You're not hearing me kind of thing. Yeah. As I started getting um, a better, like as I, as I later understood OCD and health anxiety much better, I actually told my friends like, hey, if I bring this up, this is how you should respond, which mm. is basically to not respond. Um, don't ignore me, like, don't just switch this, like, obviously switch the topic, but don't just say no. Um, but don't give me reassurance. Like, what my therapist always likes to say is, you know, when you have these thoughts and and those compulsions, it's best to say to yourself, well, it could be, or it could not be. We'll never know. Because it's true. Which is the best part, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things I don't know, I'd like be interested to talk a little bit more about um how you how you've treated or you you continue to treat health anxiety um i went through a slightly different type of therapy called eft which is emotional freedom technique okay um mainly because i didn't actually know at the time what was really going on i was just constantly thinking about dying and i knew a therapist and she's it's maybe not conventional therapy for um OCD but I didn't really know at the time what was what was I just I just I just knew that I was felt like I was dying and it was taking up my entire life um and one of the biggest takeaways from therapy for me which is something that I practice now um even though health anxiety still affects a huge part of my life is the so what which is just like so what like exactly the same thing like it could or it couldn't be but so what you still have like, to I'm not going to let this thought ruin my entire day and potentially my entire week because we don't know the answer and that's and I think it's the almost uncertainty of not knowing that feeds the anxiety and very much comes into you start strike me as someone like me who wants to be in control everything has to be perfect and I think that's where the problem lies and so it's so the brain that wants everything to to know the answers it's actually being like well we don't know the answers and it's reversing it back isn't it and being like yeah i mean you have to reason your brain yeah like let it happen okay i've got i've got cancer okay well that's it like so what and it it, actually life changing to as somebody who struggles with health help sorry health anxiety to have that viewpoint it's terrifying yeah because if you really do have cancer, you're not going to just say, so what? You're so what? going yeah. to go seek treatment. But it contradicts it completely, doesn't it? Right. I think that what took me a while to grasp, and even now I still have this issue, like I have not fully grasped this, I'm still trying to work on this, is when you say the so what, it's not so what I have cancer. It's in between the time that you have the thought and between the time you have any medical evidence and proof, it's yeah. so what if I do between now and then I still have to eat normally. I still have yes. to have a social life. I still have to take care of my yeah. work obligations and my family obligations. Like yeah. it's so what in the sense of not so what I have cancer. Okay. I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's it, so what 
I still am going to live my life the same way I would have. Exactly. Until I find out where. Because nobody knows. Correct. So so going on to that point of um, how have you been treated for the health anxiety slash OCD so far? This has been a fun one. Um, So when I went back to grad school that semester, I went back late. I went a little late because of all my health issues. Um, but around late January, early February, um, and when I finally sought out help, I went to CAPS on campus, which is a counseling and psychological center, um, or services, sorry. Mm-hmm. They were not really equipped to help me with what I needed. Um, the The clinician they paired me with didn't really know what to do or he he kind of thought he did and it just didn't help everything he was saying he was just like okay so you're sick that's nice bye (laughs) okay um and then literally if I got back in late January early February a month ish later COVID happened and we got sent home so uh, I was now living at my parents house again with health anxiety and now we have this disease floating around and Mm. I was beside myself and it it was getting pretty bad and I was on a waiting list for um I went to Rutgers University in New Jersey and they have a a PsyD program so a doctorate of clinical psychology and they have an anxiety disorders clinic there where the the students of the PsyD program are clinicians that are they're like supervised Okay. I was on a wait list for that, um, but it took a few months. And in those few months, I derailed. And I, if I got a headache, I was dying. If I got a stomachache, I was dying. If I had a scratch on my hand, I was dying. Like everything set off this. Yeah. This yeah. Um, I finally got in with the clinician. I want to say probably around that like uh no like may june july-ish closer to the summer um and i was excited because i was like great somebody who can finally help me like i straight up asked do you know how to treat ocd and health anxiety and she was like yes i'm being supervised for it i was with her for a couple months and she made it much worse she did not know how to treat it um she the the most conventional way of treating OCD to my knowledge is ERP exposure response prevention yes um and she thought she was doing that she really really did so I how, think so, so what how was she thinking that she was doing it because she would try to do these exposures with me so like yes she she thought she was doing well with doing the exposures but anytime I would have any sort of panic attack or like the intrusive thoughts were getting bad she would give me all the reassurance in the world and she, I would be like, one of my, one of my fears at that time was I was having a lot of back pain, which later turned out to be something else and I needed surgery, but um, I was having a lot of back pain. And she, I said, I think it's a spinal tumor. It could be pancreatic cancer, like anything that could hurt your mid back. And it's waking me up in the middle of the night. And she'd be like, no, Rachel, like it's, it's not cancer. It could just be, you have a bad mattress or you're a gymnast and you know, you've been doing gymnastics almost your entire life. You know, you have a bad back and I'm like, oh, maybe, but I don't think so. So she, she would try to suppress the thoughts, which is the opposite of what you want to do. Um, and in the room, isn't it? It's like when someone says, don't think about an elephant, all you do is think about an elephant. Oh, so but in OCD treatment, you want to try to tolerate the thoughts. Like you let the thoughts come and go. You don't do anything to try to bring them down and to like make yourself like less anxious. And all she was doing was trying to make me less anxious. And I was, I knew it wasn't working. I I could tell. And she was too new. Like she's, she wasn't even licensed yet. She's still being supervised. She's still a student. Um, And she didn't say anything or do anything. And by that time I had finished, I had stayed with her for a couple of months, like I said, and I had grad finished my grad school program. I accelerated that, so I finished that quickly, and I was applying for jobs, and I had gotten a new job. I got accepted, and I told her, and I said to her, I think I'm going to search for a different therapist. 
because mm. I just it it wasn't working. It's not working. Um, yeah. and I said I don't want to have no help. Like I don't want to go too long without somebody. So I told I asked if I could stay with her, like once a week, just if I needed it, kind of thing. Mm. And in that time, I tried so hard to find a therapist, and it is hard to come by a good OCD therapist, um, who takes insurance. And I'm not, I, I know about how the NHS works in England somewhat because I've had conversations with some other people, mm. but not, I'm not like too familiar with it. In the US, if you have insurance, great. But if you, that doesn't really mean much anymore. <laughs> like some clinicians might take insurance, um, but they, they don't actually know what they're doing or they're not that great or they have like month long wait lists. Yeah. Or those clinicians who are amazing and are like known really well in the OCD community, but they don't take insurance. So they charge $250 for one session. Oh and gosh. I can't afford that. And so mm-hmm. I put myself on a wait list for a person in New Jersey. And I tried out, have you heard of no CD? I haven't. Okay. So no CD is an online telehealth service specifically for OCD um and I was desperate for something (laughs) because I couldn't stay with that therapist any longer no and you couldn't afford the therapist that you knew that was would potentially help yeah and um I had just started my new job and um my grandmother had just died and I was having a lot of physical health problems again and my health anxiety got so out of control. I had just moved into my apartment. And yeah. I was so out of control that within a month of me being at my new job, I wanted to quit. Like I, I could barely leave my room. I was at work, but I was Googling again. And I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't functioning. I was driving an hour and a half almost every day back and forth between where I live now and where my parents are because I needed to be at home to go to the doctors all the time. I wanted to be at home. And if I wasn't at home, that meant I had cancer. Somehow this magical thinking started happening. I stopped talking to my friends because if I talked to my friends, that meant I would have cancer. Like it was getting so out of control. I was paying out of pocket for tests because I was convinced I had tumors um, that needed to be, to, to be taken care of. So I tried out this no CD thing it didn't work well for me, but when I was there, I got a call from um, a psychologist who I'd been on that wait list for saying I was next on the list. And she then informed me she didn't take insurance. And I was so upset. I was crushed. And I was like, I can't afford $250 a session. Um, so I said no. And about two weeks later, well, two weeks went by. And in those two weeks, I crash and burned really hard I said to my parents that I was quitting I told my psychiatrist I was quitting and luckily my psychiatrist who's known me since high school um was like why don't we try to get you accommodations at work and I said okay um and those accommodations made it so I could stay home like work from home for three months and focus on treatment and I was like, but now I need the treatment. Like I need to find somewhere to, to mm-hmm. have treatment. There's this place called Rogers um, that has multiple locations. They're like known for OCD treatment. It's an inpatient or a par- partial hospitalization program. I got approved for that, but I wasn't sure. Like they accepted me into the PHP program, but it was going to be a lot of driving back and forth. Then my dad, who, like I said, is a psychologist, said, you know what, Rachel, this isn't going to work. Like you need, I know you need something better than all this. Call that psychologist back who doesn't take insurance and I will help you pay. And I was very thankful. I called her back and she was so nice about it. And she was like, I'll get you in right away. Like, it sounds like you're really, really struggling. I, I want to help you. And from the moment I met her, I had a lot of trust in her abilities to treat OCD more than I had with any other therapist so far. And I was like, I want to stay with her. I, I need to stay with her. I think she can make a big difference. We sent in for a 
single case agreement with my insurance company. And thank you. Thank everyone that they approved it. So now mm. I only have to pay a copay. I don't have to pay the full like amount, which is amazing. Um, and that took a lot of stress off of me. And once I felt comfortable with all of that, once I was like, okay, now I have a therapist, I have my psychiatrist, I have work accommodations, I have a clean bill of health from all of these tests, I, I truly want to start getting better. Like, I want this to improve. Yeah. And we jumped in with ERP and exposures. And it was so hard. Can you explain, um, just give an example of one example of ERP. Yeah. Um, so, oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, health anxiety is an interesting one with ERP because with with some other OCD obsessions, if you're scared of like, or not scared, but if you have a, a fear of contamination, you know, one exposure might be to hold something that's contaminated in your mind. Or if you're, yeah. if you have a fear of, um, or if you have a, a, an obsession or a compulsion to like do something a certain amount of times or something, uh, one of the exposures would be to do it and not do anything no. further with it and just sit yeah. with a thought. Um, health anxiety, you can't really, how do I expose myself to cancer? Like I can't give myself cancer. Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of got creative. And there were a few different ones in the beginning, because I still had ARFID, I was still avoiding food, because I thought that food would make me sick, and that would lead to cancer. Okay. And if I had any GI symptoms, that would mean it was cancer. Yeah. So we would do exposures with things with food that I was scared of. So yogurt was a big one in the beginning. Um, rice, salad, um, mm. anything that might that I thought would hurt my GI system because of when I was sick we mm. would sit in her office and literally I would just try to eat yogurt or something like that. Um, yeah. So those were one type and those are pretty hard. Then there was the actual, you know, scrolling on social media and seeing people's posts who actually do have cancer and reading stories. Hard it's hard. Say. I mean, they're probably one of the big things for me now that if I see something like that, um, I'm like, I just end up in this. Yeah. So spot. do I. Still, I tr I haven't really. We should. I should probably go back to that exposure. But yeah, reading scary, about it, it and to look at that, it makes it so much more real. That like a doctor can say, "Oh, you're young. You're young. You're young. You're too young for this." But then you find somebody's story who's real. This is a real person. They're young. They're fit. They're healthy. Yeah. Everything was fine, and then yeah. they've got cancer, and it's like the whole world was changed. Yeah. And I feel terrible because I'm like, I don't want to make it about me. Like this person is struggling or in some cases, like I saw stories and unfortunately the, the person passed away and I'm like, this is terrible. But I'm like, look how this is like, I don't want to be upset because I'm like, oh my God, what if this happens to me? Because it did happen to them. And then I felt like a terrible person. Mm. And uh, one of the really challenging things that happened was during the time that I was with my new psychologist in the early stages of me seeing her, um somebody I knew passed away from cancer suddenly very suddenly she was only a couple of years older than me and she was diagnosed out of the blue with pancreatic cancer which at the time was my main fear was pancreatic cancer and she was diagnosed and within I want to say a month she died and mm -hmm. it was it was terrible and I I was that spiked a lot of my anxiety like my my OCD and my health anxiety got really bad again um and I told my therapist I was like I feel awful that like I'm over here thinking about the way I feel when she just passed away and I feel terrible that she just passed away mm. and she goes well the fact that you are even thinking about that tells me you're not the terrible person that you think you are like no it, it OCD is tricky man <laughs> it latches on to everything but yeah, so those are some of the exposures that we were doing, reading stories, writing scripts, which I didn't really like, but she had me do anyway. Um, not a lot of like the imaginative ones, because I could easily logic my way out of those. Um, yeah. And I'm a very self-aware, logical person. And so that was one of the challenges was just being able to find an exposure that could actually get me to feel something like feel anxious and not just think oh this is made up this is fake um 
we did, we tried doing ones where, like, I would do something to try to make myself feel a symptom, like, deliberately drink coffee, which I knew would probably give me a migraine, um, okay. or something yeah. like that, but I, I wasn't too thrilled about those, and I wasn't really open about those, because I don't, I didn't like the idea of like purposely giving me a migraine. Like, yeah, because I think something that I've heard before um, is for health anxiety with the ERP is like spinning around in a chair and then feeling like dizzy and disorientated and like, because like for someone with health anxiety, like anything that's like slightly off yes. from your usual self yeah. is, where, is where, oh my God, I'm feeling really dizzy. That must mean that I'm having a brain tumor. Like, that's how it works in your head so I've heard that the so that's yeah. probably like and she wanted thing. to do that one with me for that reason to make me like nauseous or dizzy but yeah here, the problem with me being logical is I would just say to myself but I know why I'm nauseous or dizzy because I was sitting in a chair yeah. the 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 hard thing for me with my health anxiety I don't know if this is everyone so like I want, I'm curious to know if you have the same thing Sometimes for me, it's not necessarily the symptom itself that's scary. It's why the symptom is occurring. It's the why behind it. Yeah, so I could have a headache or be nauseous and be like, that's fine. I don't care that I'm nauseous. I don't care that I have a headache. I don't yeah. care about the symptom itself. Like, I don't care that I'm in pain. Yeah. I what care about why is it happening. Yeah. What does this mean? Does yeah. this mean it's a stroke? Does this mean it's a blood clot? Does this mean it's cancer? Yeah. Like, it's that isn't it and I and I completely agree like it's it's again for me not about the symptom or how much it hurts or how weird it feels it's definitely like right okay does this mean I'm going to die in like two hours like that's like um, do I have to get myself to a doctor now is this it is this what's gonna like take me down yeah exactly so like how do you when you're in a setting like therapy and you're doing these things on purpose, how can you get yourself to believe that it's anything but the reason yeah. you're doing it? Like, it, yeah. you know what I'm yeah. saying? And I guess it doesn't, not, it doesn't really prepare you for um, a situation when you're outside of therapy and that happens because yeah, like you said, that's something where you're, you're forcing yourself to put yourself in that situation. Um, whereas if you sit there and feel dizzy and you haven't done anything, that's like right okay why am I feeling dizzy because I don't know why I'm feeling dizzy and like yeah so I completely understand that and so it's hard it is so in terms of so you ERP is is helping slash helped is there anything else that you do um do you take any medication or any other types of treatment yeah I have been on anti-anxiety medicine since I was young but it was, I was kind of going on and off of it. Um, and I was off it for a while and doing pretty well during college. Um, now I'm back. I've been back on my anti-anxiety medication ever since that semester of grad school. You didn't even have to convince me. I straight up went to my psychiatrist and was like, can I please go back on my medicine? Um, yeah. And I've, I've stayed on it since then. I'm not going to say I'm not pro or anti. I'm, I'm pro do what's best for you um in terms of medication and mental health um i would like to see myself get off of it because i would like to mm-hmm. be able to be recovered enough to be like i can handle this stuff on my own but i understand that right now i need it um yeah. and that's been a little bit of not an argument between me and my therapist like i keep saying to my psychologist do you think i can ask my psychiatrist if i can like go down on the dosage like i think yeah. i'm doing better like can i do this can i do that and my psychologist would be like we're not there yet we're not there yet we're not there yet and yeah. i'm anno- like i get annoyed about it but not annoyed that i have to be on the a medication it's more of annoyance that like i'm not progressing as fast as i would want to um but the between the medicine and the um ERP i've definitely gotten better I'm nowhere near like recovered (laughs) I still definitely um struggle but it's it's getting better manageable more so than it was I'm not having I was talking to my my psychologist this week and we were thinking like about my progress and I, I realized that I haven't had a panic attack since January or February and that was that's huge for me 
because it's I used amazing. to have these panic attacks daily, multiple times yeah, a day. And it, to yeah. now go months without a panic attack, it was kind of like a wow moment. Like, oh yeah. And, and, and I think it shows you that it is possible to to get out of that state of mind. Like, I agree. I don't think it'll ever be something that I'll never have to deal with. Um, but I can manage yeah. life now. And when the thoughts come, I don't cling on to them so much. And if I do, I don't let them control my entire life. Mm-hmm. Like, cause before it would like, right, I've got cancer, the world stops, everything stops. And this is all I care about. Um, but I think forcing yourself to just try and carry on as normal and ignore it like eventually it does kind of go away unfortunately in it there will be something else to latch on to at some point um yeah (laughs) so I guess in terms of um outside of treatment um if there's anybody listening to this right now who struggles with health anxiety what do you do on from a lifestyle perspective to manage your OCD I try to, oh, this is a hard question. So uh, from a lifestyle perspective, one of the things, and this, I know not everyone's going to want to do this, um, and it's not for everybody, but one of the things that truly has helped me, and I mean this truly, 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 has been becoming an advocate and being more open about it. And um, I, I created my Instagram page just out of a whim, just because I was such, I was at a, such a bottom part of my life and like, mm. and I, I couldn't do anything. I could barely talk to my friends and I, I made it just so I could see other people's posts. And then I thought, oh, what if I started posting like from, for myself, like things that I would want to see. Yeah. And that has led to me meeting some of the most fantastic people. And I truly love being in this community on social media where you know that it is a judgment-free zone like it doesn't matter your obsession it doesn't matter your anxiety doesn't matter your OCD theme you are going to be accepted into this community and with people who understand what you're going through I have had the amazing privilege to work with amazing creators and clinicians and I've gotten to do I've gotten to be on panels I've gotten to do amazing podcasts like your own oh my Um, god I am going to the IOCDF international OCD conference in July in San Francisco and I'll be um leading two support groups and and I'll be presenting on a panel so cool I, I have truly just immersed myself in this advocacy space and the people I have met have just made a huge difference I mean, there are like, I have friends now from my groups and one who I'm presenting on a panel with in San Francisco who like will text and I'll be like, I'm going into my therapy cocoon now. And she'll be like, great, let me know when you're, when you're out. <laughs> like, it's just, she gets it. Like we get each other so well. I love so, that. Surrounding myself with people who get what I'm going through has been a game changer for me. I, yeah, I mean, for me, when I started this community, um, what shocked me was just how many people are actually experiencing what you experience. And I think that's when I was like, right, this is something like this community, this mental health community on Instagram is just, there's so much potential because like it, it's so easy. And I've said this so many times before on podcasts and just on my page in general. And I'm sure that you've probably thought similar things is that when you're in that space, you genuinely don't believe that anybody is going through it. You think you're a weirdo. It's like, why is this happening? Nobody else thinks like this. None of my friends think like this. And because it's you, you surround yourself with in this bubble of your, your family and people that you know, and you forget that there's a whole world out there of people who struggle and who struggle with exactly the same things that you struggle with. Yeah, And that's the most amazing thing because you don't feel alone anymore. And it's Ooh. like, these people won't judge me and they, they get it. They understand. Like even speaking to you today, it's like someone's literally gone into my brain and like, right. And, and I'm like, this is, I, I do this. I do all of these things. And a year ago when, when I was, or a year and a half ago, when I was really in a bad place with, with my health anxiety, I just thought I was going mad. 
that was the, that was all I could assume. Like I'm I'm literally going crazy you because you're going crazy, and you think based on like what everyone says around you to just stop thinking about it. You think you're overreacting, and you think why yeah. why is my brain like this? Why am I like this? Why am I so different? That why can't I be like everyone else? But yeah. when you learn that, like I'm sitting here in New Jersey, you're sitting there in London. Yeah. And yeah. we're talking to each other about the same thing. Like exactly the same thing. Right. It, it's crazy. It is insane. Um, so being an advocate, I love that. Um, so in terms so so I guess like a final question, which I always ask at the end of the show, is um obviously we've got lots of amazing people listening, whether they've listened because they're just generally interested in learning and being educated on OCD and health anxiety or whether they are actually struggling um if there are people that are listening that are struggling what is the one piece of advice that you would give them i get this asked us all the time um there's like so much though <laughs> um like i would say question. i guess my biggest piece of advice would would really just to be really just to know that you truly really are not alone that there are a ton of other people out there that yeah. understand exactly what you're going through and it I know it's a cliche to say this but it does get better I mean when I was at the lowest point of my health anxiety you, I truly felt like there was no coming out of it like there was never going to be a life without these thoughts controlling me and although I'm not, I'm still in treatment, I'm still in my recovery journey, I can now see that that is not true. And when you're at such a low point, it's it's like tunnel vision. You have tunnel vision. You can't see it. You can't imagine life without it. You almost kind of get comfortable with it. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. With proper treatment and access to proper treatment if you have it and that's a whole different discussion um it can get better and it will yeah it's hard but just stick with it and it it just truly there is a light at the end of the tunnel moment when things start changing and you start seeing small little like goals getting achieved You're like oh my god this is working and it yeah. makes you keep like you, you're just motivated to keep going and i want everyone to to have that little bit of motivation to just even get them started with treatment. If they're nervous about just starting treatment, just take a little bit of the motivation, just see it as a little tunnel that you can get out of and it will happen. I love that. That's such a good piece of advice. Um, and what I'm gonna do here as well in this video is insert your page now. And um, just so that everyone can go and follow you, you've got an incredible page. Yeah. So many followers <laughs> um, and your posts are great so uh, that's another little piece of um support for anyone that that might be struggling as well to go and check out your page um and hopefully some tips and advice on ocd and health anxiety but thank you so so much for being here today i've absolutely loved speaking to you um i feel, feel like i resonate with a lot of what you've been going through but you are proof that it can get better so thank you so much and good luck with everything thank you i really enjoyed being here